millions of Christians face intense persecution and risk their lives for the sake of the gospel. Vom Oz Radio supports persecuted Christians, giving a voice to the testimony of those who have been denied a voice. Our programs inform and encourage Christians in Australia and around the world to mobilize and to stand with our persecuted brothers and sisters in Christ. Welcome to Vom Oz Radio, voice for the persecuted. Welcome back. My name is Todd Nettleton. You know, almost every week we talk with believers in Jesus who are going through persecution for their faith in Christ. Or we talk with those who are reaching out and ministering among persecuted brothers and sisters. Or those who are sharing the gospel in hostile and restricted nations, places where persecution is a constant possibility. Stories like these are so important to us as Christians in free nations, places where we don't regularly face persecution. We have so much to learn when we see how God is at work among our persecuted brothers and sisters, and when we see their faithfulness and courage. Not too long ago, I had a chance to speak to a group of American Christians about this topic, and I wanted to also share this message with you during our time together this week. I want all of us to be reminded why VOM workers travel around the world to meet with persecuted believers, why we pass their stories and their wisdom on to believers in free nations through Voice of the Martyrs Radio, through our free monthly magazine, through our books, through video productions. Why do we tell these stories? What about the possibility that that we in free nations, we too, might someday face persecution. How can we prepare for that eventuality? And how can we prepare our children? I want to suggest one of the reasons that we tell these stories is because it might begin to cost us, American Christians, to follow Jesus Christ. The the day might be coming when you and I are asked to pay a price to stand up and be identified with Jesus Christ Now, when I say this at a conference and even in a room like this, I'm sure there's a a broad variety of responses. I think there's probably people in the room who would say, well, I have been persecuted. This this is already here. Let me tell you my story. And then there are others who would say, well, this is America. That'll never happen here. This is the land of the free and the home of the brave. We have religious freedom. But I think the day is coming when it might cost American Christians to follow Jesus Christ. Now, let me be 100% clear about what I am not saying, okay? I am not assigning a timeline to this. I'm not saying, you know, in September of 2022 is when pastors are gonna start be rounded up. But what I am saying is we need to be ready for that day to come. And I am passionate that our children and our grandchildren need to be ready Because see, if we're ready today and it starts tomorrow, we're ready. If we're ready today and it starts 25 years from now, we're ready, right? So the purpose is we need to be ready because it might cost us, American Christians, to follow Jesus Christ. It's interesting the way Jesus described the kingdom of heaven in Matthew 13. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure hidden in a field which a man found and covered up. Then in his joy, 
he goes and sells all that he has so that he can buy that field and own that treasure. There's another New Testament story about the cost of following Jesus Christ. You've read it probably dozens of times. It's the story of Saul, the persecutor, on his way to Damascus to round up the followers of Christ. He runs into Christ himself. Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? He's struck blind, and he goes into the city of Damascus, and the Lord sends a man named Ananias to go and talk to Saul. Now, if you've read the story recently, you probably remember. Do you remember what Ananias said? He said no. He said, God, I have heard about this Saul guy, and we actually don't want him on our team. You know, we should leave well enough alone. He is trouble. And the Lord says to Ananias, go, for he is a chosen vessel of mine to bear my name before Gentiles, kings, and the children of Israel, for I will show him how many things he must suffer for my name's sake. And so Ananias goes, and I love when Ananias gets there, he says, brother Saul. The, the guy he said, we don't want him, he addresses him as brother. Brother Saul, he goes and meets with Brother Saul. In verse 18, Saul is baptized. In verse 20, he's preaching the name of Jesus Christ. And in verse 23, people are trying to kill him. That didn't take very long, did it? I will show him how much he must suffer. Helen Berhane was here and spoke in chapel and also shared about the cost of following Jesus Christ. And I wanna share a little segment of our interview from VOM Radio about this subject. I decide to stand by faith, doesn't matter what it costs, because everything costs you price. When you buy a bread, it costs you price. When you buy a car, it costs you price. Also, when you follow Jesus, it costs you price. Everything costs price. Everything costs a price. When you buy a car, it costs a price. When you buy a loaf of bread, it costs you a price. And when you follow Jesus, it costs you a price. Here's the challenge that I see for us as American Christians. For a long time, we got the treasure in the field without actually having to sell anything that we owned. We didn't have to give up anything. We got to have our cake and eat it too. But I think that may be coming to an end. I think the change may be coming where American believers like you and I, we have to pay a price. We have to sell some of what we own. We have to give up our popularity. We have to give up our political power. Folks, I think some Christians are gonna lose their jobs. I think some pastors are gonna lose their freedom. So if that's true, if, if the day is coming when American Christians are called to pay a price for following Christ, well, what do we need to remember? What do we need to learn to prepare ourselves? The first thing that I want to suggest to you that we need to remember and hold on to with all of our might is the fact that Jesus is worth it. If we're called on to suffer for the name of Christ, that is is something that is worth everything we have. The man, in his joy, sold all that he owned. Not out of duty. 
in his joy because Jesus is worth it. In Acts chapter 5, there's the story of Peter and the apostles being taken before the Sanhedrin, and they beat them, and they charge them not to speak in the name of Jesus, and then they let them go. And this amazing verse, Acts 5.41, then they left the presence of the council rejoicing that they were counted worthy to suffer dishonor for the name of Christ. They were excited about this. We have seen people, people have stood on this stage who exemplify that. They thought it was an honor to have the privilege of suffering for Christ. There's another brother in Sudan that understands that. Brother Matak was, lives in Sudan. After he came to faith out of a Muslim background, he was, first they tried to bribe him. You know, we'll give you a new job, we'll give you a nice house. Come back, come back and be a Muslim. No, I'm not gonna do that. Bribery didn't work, so they arrested him and they beat him and they tortured him in ways, this is more than 20 years ago, his body is still scarred by the torture that he endured. And yet, when our VOM staff was there and met with him, he has this joyful expression on his face and they asked him, how are you so joyful? Brother Matak made this amazing statement. He said, you don't understand, I was ready to die for Christ. And all he asked of me was that I be in prison and tortured for seven years. I was ready to die. And God was so kind and gracious to me that I only had to endure suffering for seven years. Jesus is worth it. Brother Matak would stand here and say, Jesus is worth it. That's the first thing that we need to grab onto if we as American Christians are gonna be called on to pay a price for following Jesus Christ. The second thing that I wanna suggest, if, if this is true, if persecution is coming, we as American Christians are gonna need some strategies to deal with it. I don't think most of our churches are ready for that. I don't think I'm ready for that. We're gonna need some strategies to deal with it, but, but here's the good news, and you guys know this, there are experts in dealing with persecution and they are ready and willing to teach us. They're, they're the people that we print their stories in the newsletter. They're the people we write books about. They're the people you hear about on Voice of the Martyrs Radio. They are ready and willing to share their wisdom and knowledge and even the blessing of persecution with us. Over the years, as I have met with persecuted Christians, I always try to look at, okay, what what do I need to learn from this person? What do I need to carry home for my church, for my Bible study group, for the VOM family? What do we need to learn from this person? And so I wanna suggest some of the strategies that our brothers and sisters have taught me over the years. Strategy number one, if persecution is coming to the American church, we're going to need to think differently about our Bibles. There's a great story in Nick Ripkin's book, The Insanity of God, and, and by the way, I've now done, I think, three interviews with Nick Ripkin and his wife. You absolutely should listen to them. They are amazing people. Uh, but The Insanity of God tells the story of, of Nick being in Russia and meeting with formerly persecuted Christians in Russia, and he heard an amazing story. Three pastors put on a conference for all of the young single people in their particular church network. And this young to them was 18 to 30, 
and they had about 700 people come together. Now, this was such a controversial thing that the three pastors actually went to jail for three years because they put on this particular conference. And they said at the beginning of the conference, hey, we're going to play like a little game every day this week. I want you to gather in small groups, and, and I want to see how much of the New Testament and the four Gospels that you have memorized, that you can write down. And so over the course of this week, they gathered in small groups and they began to write out the stories of the four Gospels. And they also wrote down the the lyrics of choruses and hymns that they sang in their churches. At the end of the week, they kind of turned in their work and compared their notes. They had recorded all of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John with only about a half dozen mistakes. They had also recreated the lyrics of more than 1,200 songs, choruses, and hymns of the faith. Now, this is back in the 1950s. On the day that Nick Ripkin heard this story, he was with some young people of the Russian church. Now, this was after the wall had fallen. This was after freedom had come. And he said, you know, what about you guys? How How much of the Gospels do you know? And they said, well, not very many. And he said, well, let's not even worry about trying to be word for word with it. Just, you know, what are the stories that you remember from the Gospels? Not very many. And Nick Ripkin writes these words, I did see, however, what the Russian church had lost in its first decade of freedom. Under communism, the church had found a way to survive and often thrive. Scripture and holy song was its lifeblood. Now in a much freer day for the church, Scripture and Holy Song did not seem nearly as important. So the first strategy, if if persecution is going to come to the American church, we're going to need to think differently about our Bibles. We're going to need to think a little more like the 1950s Russian Christians and not so much like the 1980s Russian Christians. But here's the thing, we don't have to wait for persecution to think differently about our Bibles. We can start that today. We can start it now. We can put this into practice now. So the first strategy, if persecution is gonna come, we need to think differently about our Bibles. The second strategy that I wanna suggest to you is that if persecution is gonna come to American Christians, we're going to have to think differently about our prayer life and our time with God This is a picture of Sergei Bessarab. He was martyred in Tajikistan on January 12, 2004. He'd gone to a city called Isfara to plant a church. Now, Isfara had 126 mosques and zero Christian presence when Sergei and his wife went to the city to plant a church. Less than a year later, there was a headline in the local paper. The headline was, What's going to be done about Sergei Bessarab? A few weeks after that headline, Sergei was in the front room of his house, having his nightly devotional time, strumming his guitar, when three shots rang out, and he died on the floor in the room where their church met. A few months later, I was, had the privilege of going to Isfra, and uh, the, the holes were still in the windows where the bullets had gone through. They had taped over them, and uh, the church was still meeting in that room, and we met with Sergei's widow, and she told this amazing thing about Sergei. In the months before he was killed, Sergei's normal devotional life was two hours in the morning, Bible reading, prayer time, worship, 
and two hours in the evening. Bible reading, prayer time, worship. His widow told us that in the months before he was killed, he was praying and asking God to open up two more hours in the middle of the day. Because you see, he didn't think four hours a day in the presence of God was enough time. I find that story incredibly convicting because sometimes I think 15 minutes is a lot. Sergei Besarov didn't think that four hours a day was enough. He wanted God to give him two more hours. As I've thought about that story and I've thought about Sergei going to heaven, I wonder if God met him at the gate and said, how about eternity instead? How about eternity instead of two more hours a day? You come in, you spend time with me. I think that might have been God's way of answering his prayers. So if there comes a time when we American Christians are going to be persecuted for our faith, we're going to have to think differently about our prayer time and our daily time with God. But again, we don't have to wait for persecution. We can do that now. We can start that today. A third strategy that I think our brothers and sisters would share with us if persecution is coming to the American church is we're going to have to think differently about the body of Christ. Several years ago, I was in Nigeria and I met these two pastors. They're from the same village in Nigeria. Their village has come under attack by Fulani herdsmen and by Boko Haram. And the two pastors shared that before the attacks began, they didn't like each other. In fact, they really saw themselves as being in competition because, see, if Mary goes to his church, then she's not going to come to my church. But after the attacks came, they were forced to get together, to work together, to see each other as brothers, to see each other as teammates. And they have actually become very good friends. When I met them, they both talked about how much they appreciated each other and their friendship and their co-workers together now. We in the American church need a dose of that. If persecution is going to come, we're going to have to think differently about the body of Christ. It's not going to matter nearly as much what the name is above the door of your church. It's going to matter a lot more whose names are in the Lamb's Book of Life. If persecution is coming to the American church, we have to think differently about the body of Christ. But again, we don't have to wait. One of the things I love about VOM is how we exemplify this. Even looking across the people gathered here today, the people who work here, the people who volunteer here, the people who come to our conferences, we draw from an amazingly broad spectrum of the American church. People who are living this out, they're thinking differently about the body of Christ. The fourth strategy that I want to suggest as we are running short on time is if persecution is coming to the American church, we're going to have to think differently about our enemies. We have a lot of enemies in American culture right now, don't we? We have a lot of people who want to make us feel like somebody else is our enemy, But if persecution is going to come, we need to think differently about our enemies. And maybe nobody exemplifies this better than Dan Bauman, who was here and spoke in chapel. And we did the Voice of the Martyrs interview. And I want you to hear what he says 
about how God helped him think differently about his enemies. And it was the very first day when he was beating me. And again, there was no real sense of a reason why or a reason what was going on. And yet, on that day, I felt like God speak to my heart as he was beating me that, Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. <laughs> and I remember thinking, not now, thank you. Because the reality was there was complete injustice of the moment as far as politics go. And so, yeah, love him. No, 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 no. I'll love other guys, but not this guy. And that's when I felt it strong again and again. Dan, I want to teach you to love your enemies. And I'll never forget when I was complaining almost to God, like, I can't do that. No way. This is too much not going to happen now. That I felt like God challenged me with another question, a statement. Dan, ask me what I think of him. And in that simple words came the reality that God changed the subject. And I love when God changes the subject. Because life was all about me. And yet at that same moment, there was something else going on. And that was what God thought and what God, how he cared for that man. So I stopped and I'm like, okay, God. I don't understand, but what do you think of this man? And the love of God hit my heart. The love of God filled my heart. I began to realize that God did love this man, that he loved him forever. He loved this man. He loved his wife. He loved his kids. There was just one challenge, and it was that that man didn't know it. And the love of God hit my heart. While this guy's beating you. While he's beating me, yeah. And so it was... Yeah, this change of subject. Yes, I'm feeling terrible while he's beating me. But yet at that moment, taking a second to say, God, what is on your mind? What is on your heart for this man? And that's when it overwhelmed me. If, if persecution is going to come to American Christians, we're going to have to pray that prayer. God, what do you think of him? Show me what you think. Let me see through your eyes. We're going to have to think differently about our enemies. But again, we don't have to wait for persecution to pray that prayer. There's probably people right now you would identify as your enemies or people who have hurt you. Lord, what do you think of that person? We need to think differently about our enemies. As we finish up our time, well, you know, we've talked about strategies We've talked about the fact that even if we are persecuted, Jesus is worth that. That's a small price to pay. But let me share some good news. There are amazing blessings that are found, and they seem to only be found in the midst of persecution and trials. You guys know this. You know these blessings. But let me share some of them. The blessing of unity in the body of Christ. We talked about the pastors in Nigeria. That's one of the blessings that grows out of persecution. A second blessing is the blessing of seeing God's supernatural power in action. We have heard so many stories over the years of God doing amazing things, closing people's eyes, opening people's eyes, healing the sick, letting the Bibles go through, even when they open the suitcase and look right at them, and then they're like, okay, go on through. 
One of the blessings of serving Christ amidst hardship and persecution is seeing his supernatural power in action. A third blessing is the blessing of seeing the lost one to Christ as they see the reality of faith in our lives. You may remember David Bile, who was arrested in Turkey and, and was here and spoke in chapel, and he shared about the fact that he has seen God work in so many different police stations and so many different jail cells that when the police knock on his door, he gets excited. He's like, somebody's about to hear the gospel. That's one of the blessings of persecution. Another blessing and the last blessing that I would point out is experiencing the joy of the Lord. One of the most important things that I think I do for the American church is say, hey, don't feel sorry for your persecuted brothers and sisters. They are joyful. They are excited. You don't need to feel sorry for them. You may remember when Pastor Hassan was here. Pastor Hassan was in prison with Peter in Sudan. And as we recorded the VOM radio interview, he talked about the fact that many nights while he was in prison, he had to sleep on the floor. And he said, I would just lay on the floor and I would cry. And I, you know, thinking, well, you were lonely for your family or, you know, you were mad that you had to sleep on the floor and other people got beds. And, uh, you know, no, 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 no. Jesus was so close to me and so real in that prison cell that I would just lay there and weep tears of joy at the presence of Christ. One of the blessings of persecution is experiencing that joy of the Lord that seems to be more real or come more naturally in those times of trial. So as we finish up, my challenge to you and to the American church, the wider body of Christ here in the U.S. is I think there may be a day coming when we American Christians have to pay a price. We have to sell all we own to buy that field and own that treasure. But if that day is coming, I want you to be encouraged. Number one, Jesus is worth it. Jesus is worth it. And number two, there are strategies that we can use. Our brothers and sisters are already using them successfully. They are ready to teach us and train us, not just to endure persecution, but to be victorious in the midst of persecution. That's the challenge. That's the lesson that we can learn from our brothers and sisters. Let's close in prayer today. Lord Jesus, thank you for this morning. Thank you for each person that is here. And Father, as we sit in this room, we know there are brothers and sisters around the world who are not comfortable right now. There are those in prison there are those in police stations. There are those being interrogated. Lord, will you encourage each one of them? Will you give them the words to say? Will you give them the strength to go on? And Lord, through your Holy Spirit, would just right at this moment, would you let them know that somebody's praying for them, that they are not forgotten, they are not alone, they are a part of your body and that the rest of the body is with them, is feeling their pain. Lord, I pray for American Christians to stand up boldly for the name of Jesus Christ, for the truth of the scripture. Lord, if the day is coming when we have to pay a price, Lord, make us willing. Allow us to suffer victoriously. Allow us to show love to our enemies. 
and allow us to experience the joy of the Lord even in the midst of difficult circumstances. Father, go with us into today in all that we do. Let us serve our brothers and sisters around the world and let us bring honor to you. In Jesus' name, amen. Christians in hostile nations may live far from us. As believers, we know that we are one with them and part of the body of Christ. As such, we can't ignore their suffering. If the Holy Spirit is impressing you to know more and support the work of Voice of the Martyrs, please visit our website at vom.com.au. All donations of $2 and more are tax deductible in Australia. This has been a production of Vom Oz Radio, Voice for the Persecuted.